Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. This text is not an unknown text, but there are nuances to the text that I think we lose in our modern day society and sensibility. Jesus has been traveling around and he's a bit of a novelty. Right? He does miracles, he makes food appear. I'm sure once you made a plethora of wine at a wedding, everybody wanted you at their dinner party. And so people are inviting Jesus into their homes. And this Pharisee has done the same thing. And lest we forget, a Pharisee is the pinnacle of laity in Judaism. So the Pharisees were the teachers of the law. They were the ones who would teach and would speak in the synagogues. The priesthood still ruled the temple structure in Jerusalem, but they were not involved with teaching on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis. Instead, they carried out the Mosaic law, and the Pharisees were the ones who taught it. And so they could cite you the Torah on command. They could tell you the, the laws and the observances and the statutes necessary for every sin and how to be reconciled to God. And they prescribed how life looked outside of the city of Jerusalem. They were the common religious authorities. And so a Pharisee was well-respected. They often had a higher income. And in this case, this one is hosting a dinner party. And Simon has invited Jesus to join him, which Jesus does. And as Jesus gets there, this woman has arrived. We know not her name or her face, But she is known to all those in attendance, and I suspect the entire town. She's a sinner. And while Scripture doesn't tell us what her sin is that she commits, we know that it must be outwardly visible because everybody knows her as a sinner. It's not that she has jealousy in her heart. Whatever it is, it's manifesting itself openly in her life and in public. And you can tell by the way Simon thinks and speaks about her that she's been shunned, that she's rejected, that she's been cast down and cast aside, and no one's interested in being around her. And yet here she is, and she has come with great purpose. She has come bearing a very expensive jar of anointing oil. And as she's come into the house, she proceeds to honor Jesus. And Jesus points out for us just how dirty he was, because Simon had failed to provide water to cleanse the feet. And since you're spending all day, every day, walking around in unpaved roads, in the dust, in the dirt, in sandals, Jesus' feet were probably really dirty, even disgustingly dirty. And she is crying so profusely that she has enough water and moisture to cleanse his feet. And then she dries them with her hair intimate gestures. And then, if that weren't enough, she breaks open this costly bottle of oil and she proceeds to tend to his feet, which were probably chapped and chafed, nicked and scarred from journeying around in his feet, and she soothes his feet with this oil. And Simon had done none of this for Jesus. 
Instead, he asked Jesus so he would be honored, and she came to honor Jesus. And he points out when he can hear the thoughts in Simon's head just how different things really are. Simon thought he was on top and this woman was on the bottom. And according to their social structure, that was so. But Jesus came to turn everything over. And he points out to Simon in the lesson, suppose there was someone who had debtors. And one owes $500 and one owns $50. And since neither one can pay, the one who controls the debt says, I forgive you both. Who's more thankful? And Simon, being a very intelligent person, says, clearly the one with the bigger debt, the $500, would be more grateful. That's right, says Jesus. And yet you don't understand why she's doing what she's doing and how it is a sign of her worship and her gratitude. She is so thankful that she has to do something. She has to show it. She has to honor Jesus. She has to give back for the honor and glory of God instead of Simon, who invited Jesus to receive. He invited Jesus so that his friends would say, oh, that guy, he's at your house tonight? We're going to come over. And all the people in the town would go, oh, were you at Simon's house when Jesus was there? You know, the one from Galilee? Did you see what he did? Instead, this woman has come, and we know not who she is. We know nothing about her except for her actions. She had been defined by her state of sin. But according to Jesus, she is there because of her great faith. And because of her faith, she has been saved. And he blesses her and he sends her forth in peace, having proclaimed her redemption to the entire dinner party. We as modern day Christians are no different from this nameless woman. We have service to enact because we understand that we have been saved by our faith, because we have received unparalleled forgiveness and grace, our response to that should be to honor and glorify God in the way we live and what we do. Now, there are so many times in our lives where we can get so busy and bogged down and we wonder how I can possibly make time for anything else. Because I don't know if you notice this, but sometimes Jesus can take up a lot of time in your life. And it doesn't take very much for you to enter into this life where Jesus could fill your day. Literally fill your day. Last week, I was in my office in the afternoon and a friend called me on my cell phone and said, Hey, what are you doing? And I said, I'm putting together 150 goodie bags. And he says, What kind of party are you throwing? And I was like, Easter. I'm throwing Easter. And he says, what are you going to do with those? And I said, they're gifts for the children at children's time. 150? I said, yeah, I hope I have enough. And he said, why are you doing that? And I said, why not? It's a celebration. It's the biggest Sunday of the year. What else would I do but send the children away with tangible signs of the resurrection and let them know that Jesus is truly risen and theirs? I can't think of a better way to spend money. He said, well, it sounds like a lot of work. I hope it pans out. I said, yes, me too. He said, well, what else are you doing? And I said, oh, I've got this Easter egg hunt that we're planning. I said, you know, I've got over 1,200 eggs coming. He's like, 1,200 eggs? What are you going to do with 1,200 eggs? I said, hunt them. 
what else are we going to do? He's like, y'all seem very child-focused here. I was like, yes, I think I read that in Scripture somewhere, that we're supposed to remove obstacles for children and welcome them to Jesus. One of the services that I've been engaged in in Lent is working with the children and paying attention to them and showing them that Jesus is theirs as well. And it pays off. It is incredible to devote time and energy to people who so graciously want to be with you. I'll tell you, any day of the week when I'm having a bad day, I go get a hit of preschool. I walk up there and I talk to the kids and I greet the kids and they show me what they're working on and they show me the art projects that they've done. And it's miraculous to see people who are so vivacious. You can get off a phone call and try to figure out where finances are going and how you're going to open up your schedule and how you're supposed to get everything done before your deadline. And then I go up in the land of preschool and everything is okay. I'm telling you, you don't understand how great it is to be four. And yet, Jesus is telling us that we do have work to do. That we are called not only to serve children, but youth, adults, the sick, the imprisoned. We have been called to a service. And this woman, in her namelessness and facelessness, is reminding us that it's not about us. She is so well known, and yet we know nothing about her. She is simply a Christian, someone who worships and believes in Jesus Christ. And she is showing us another way of being. We live in a world where everybody talks about their legacy, right? I'll start an endowment. There'll be a foundation in my name. I'll have my name on a building. Need to make sure that people remember my name. And yet, this, one of the most prolific acts of the New Testament, has no name. She is just a woman, a woman who had sinned and is now forgiven and free. So why are we obsessed with having our names emblazoned and for all to see? Our goal as Christians is actually to direct everything back to Jesus. When someone says, thank you, I tell them, God bless you. When someone says, why are you doing this? Why are you putting all this effort into children or into youth? Because God is good and has asked us to bless other people. When people want to know why the church is willing to put so much time and energy and financial backing behind its mission and its ministries, it is because God has called us to this holy service. And our faith has shown us that it makes a difference, not only in us, but in the lives of others. And if we aren't willing to serve, if we aren't willing to let our faith take form and be emboldened and embodied in these vessels, then we are disrespecting the cross and the open tomb. We are rejecting the freedom and the liberty that Jesus has given us to love and live in brand new ways. We're called to do incredible acts. And sometimes we fail to understand just where everything fits in. I don't know whose idea it was at Beaver Creek Methodist Church to buy a little plot of land in Crozet when they built a train depot, but we should canonize that person. We should saint them because somebody 
had an insight and said, I think that we can reach more people if we move to Crozet. And now you are in the most coveted place of a church in Crozet. I have yet to have a clergy person come and see me who doesn't remark about, how did you all get this? But when they said it, you know there were people that like, you're crazy. We're not going out there. Just because they build a train depot, you think we're just supposed to move out there? We've been here for generations. My dad built that pew. And yet somebody had enough insight and faith to believe that if they moved the church, that the church and the body of Christ would grow and that the faith would carry on. And so they came and they built and they built on and they built new and they kept building and they paved and they parked. And now we are here. And I don't know their names. I don't know their faces. But I know that in my heart and in my mind, they are all named Christian and they all have the face of Jesus Christ. That is what we should strive for. That is what we should be moving toward. We don't understand just how important our faith and stepping out is if we're going to show the world what love looks like when it goes out. When I was in seminary, I traveled around southern India for three weeks with other seminarians and some of my professors. And one of the places that we visited was a compound that housed not only an orphanage for children, but it held housing for single women. And some of them were children who grew up and continued to live and work at the orphanage, and others were widows. Uh, they were older women that didn't have anywhere else to go, and so they sought refuge there. And they all worked together and lived in community, and they were all Christian. And as we were traveling around, we got there, and this whole gaggle of children descended and wanted to talk to us and touch us and look at us and, and dance for us and all that sort of thing. And then after we got to play with the children for a couple of hours, they said, let us show you how we live. And they took us and they showed us in some of the various buildings how they supported themselves. They wove fabric in one, and they had old-fashioned looms, completely manual, wooden-framed, and there were women in there weaving. Some of the fabrics they sold um, to raise money. Others they actually used for their clothing and for their textiles, their, their bed sheets. And while we were in there, there was a woman off to the back, and she had a young girl helping her out. And when we walked by, we were told that she was blind. And sure enough, her eyes were milky white. And the woman was still weaving despite her blindness. I can't weave and I have eyesight. And I was amazed at how she effortlessly managed to weave and get every line perfect and pristine. And then when we were finished, they showed us some of the work that she had done. Now, she didn't make the heart, which I think you can see. What you can't see is the linen behind it. And she wove this beautiful piece of linen, and then another woman who could see cross-stitched a heart on top of it. And I have it because when they told us that she was weaving, we as Americans all went, how is that possible? And our guide looked at us and said, by touch and by faith. She does what she does by touch and by faith.
we are people who are called to live by touch and faith. God has reached out in Jesus Christ and touched us, touched us deeper than our hearts to the very core, the fabric of our being, written our names within our being and sealed it with Christ. And then gave us this miraculous gift of faith that can overcome darkness and pain and suffering and transform and redeem into something bright and beautiful and helpful. We are a people of faith. By faith, like the woman, we are saved. And we have been saved to touch lives, to touch others, to extend the healing touch of Jesus Christ, not only for the present, but for all time. Kingdom building is about healing and touching and transforming. And we are called to be builders, you and I. We are building our piece of the kingdom here. And God in churches all over the world is building more. And when Christ returns, they will be united. But we cannot have 10% of us building. We do this together or we will not do it for long. We have to come together. We have to look outside of ourselves. We have to step out on faith. This morning in between worship services, someone asked me, how do you walk in those? I was like, I walk by faith alone. <laughs> and a lot of practice. I've had a lot of practice. But the truth is that every step I take, I don't watch my feet I have confidence that the ground is here. I have confidence in this incredible body that God has blessed me with that has balance and can stand. And so I walk and I talk and I do these things because whether I am aware of it today or not, God has blessed me to do great work. Just like God has blessed you to do great work too. And we walk by faith. We live our lives by faith. Do we know for certain that we're going to have 750 people here for Easter? No. But I hope and pray that we do. I hope and pray that all three worship services are filled with people yelling to high heaven, Alleluia, Christ is risen. I pray that I will actually have more than 150 children to give gifts for on Easter. I bought backup gifts. I bought backup gifts because I started to go, oh no, what if I have more kids than gifts? Because I trust that if we prepare, that Christ will call and that those people will be sent to us. I believe that you are empowered to ask your family and your friends and your neighbors to come with you, to come and see what Christ is doing this day. I believe that all of us are capable of filling this room to the point that the fire marshal, who I'm told might be here worshiping, will get very uncomfortable. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be a story that they will tell for years? That this little church in Crozet packed them in on Easter. I have yet in the last eight years of ministry to see more than 500 people in four services on Easter. I have no doubt that Christ calls people here. I have seen it at Advent and Christmas. I have seen it on Sundays where I was sure nobody was showing up. I have seen time and time again 
Christ not only present and working through you, but Christ calling others through you. And I have seen them respond. And to be here and to welcome you is one of the greatest gifts that I as a pastor could have. To lead you in your worship, to lead you in the next big thing that the Holy Spirit is leading all of us to. It's a gift that I will forever be grateful for. And my prayer really is that years from now, you don't remember my face or my name. But that years from now, people will look back and say, there was this incredible period of growth and their faith. And we had this, 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 and this now because of the church at that time was so vibrant and pushed beyond its fear and its finances and went out on faith and built for us this incredible foundation upon which we stand. I can't tell you the names of my Sunday school teachers from growing up. I can barely tell you the name of the clergy people. But I can tell you the way I felt when I went to church as an eight-year-old. I can tell you what it meant when the church gave me my first Bible that was mine. I can tell you what it means when I got to stand up and read Scripture for the first time at 14. I can tell you about those experiences. And we are the people who don't want the credit. We are the people that just want to give and give abundantly because we have received so much. Reverend Tammy Estep used to be the district superintendent on the Eastern Shore, and it's a very intimate community on the Eastern Shore. I think there's only 25 clergy on the Eastern Shore. And I watched one time as there was a district clergy meeting, and I was one of the instructors that had traveled up from Norfolk, and I watched with complete awe and, quite frankly, jealousy as she greeted every one of those clergy persons by name, asked about their spouses and their children, knew their churches. She was so invested in them. And I, on one of the largest districts, I was lucky if my district as a superintendent knew my name. But she not only knew them, she treasured them and valued them and shepherded them. And she used to say to them, you have been blessed to be a blessing. God's blessing doesn't end with you going, thank you, Jesus. God's blessing on you doesn't end until someone else, because of you, says, thank you, Jesus. I believe that Tammy was a vessel of God when she said that. And I have co-opted it and used it constantly because I believe that it wasn't Tammy Eastup that said it, but the Holy Spirit. You are an incredible blessing to me. And because of the way you have blessed me and inspired me, and welcomed me, and supported me. I want to do that for others. Will you not continue to do that for those who have not yet found their seats, who have not yet found their family of faith, and for those who wonder if Jesus really is for them? We have a lot of work to do, but this is a life. It is not a lifestyle. It is an identity. It is who we are. And by the glory of God and God's graciousness, we don't have to worry about our salvation. We don't have to worry about the times when we don't quite get it right. There is grace abundant for all of us.
And as long as we keep our eye focused on Jesus, as long as we seek to serve and enact the love that we first received from God Almighty, there is nothing that can stop us here at Crozet. We will build God's kingdom. And decades from now, we will be nameless, faceless people who made Christ a little more manifest here in Crozet. May it be so, for the honor and glory of our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.